Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, once again, we have an incredibly special guest with us in the studio today, studio slash office, uh, Reverend Douglas Herlong. That's me. Am I saying that correctly? That is correct. All right, Douglas. Do you go by Doug, Douglas, Dougie? What's what's your preference? So I always tell people, like I introduce myself as Douglas. Um, My dad always went by Doug growing up. And so um, what's funny, though, is is when I went off to college and seminary, it just was kind of natural for people to shorten it anyway. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I always tell people I introduce myself as Douglas. I like to have that kind of, you know, if my name is announced or whatever, that's what I prefer. But... I roll with it, man. You just whatever. <laughs> yep. That's cool. good. <laughs> All right. Well, I like Douglas. I'm not really a nickname kind of person. I don't like nicknames for myself. She likes to be called Liz. I like full names. Yeah, and I have yeah. something about that. So, like, I, I'm on board. Yeah, everyone calls him Jay. Yep. I, every once in a while, if I'm just really feeling lazy, you know, most when I'm writing it, I'll say Jay. But uh, James, like, your name is James. Your name is Douglas. I'm on board with this. Yeah. I, like, went, I went by Jay most of my life. Um, I'm named after my father. It sounds like you might be mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And... Uh, I was born in uh, 1980, and it was right during the um, big Dallas, like the show Dallas was on, and there was a, a guy named Jr. on the show, and my mom didn't want me named after my father because she didn't want me called Jr. Mm-hmm. She didn't want me called Little Jimmy or Little Jim. <laughs> that would have been weird. Or anything like that. So she agreed to name me after my father if I could go by Jay, and so I went by Jay my entire life until I got here to Northside, and Dr. Gil Watson was like. We don't use nicknames. Maybe this is it, right? We use our full names. <laughs> Dr. Gill and I, we have and something like, in common okay, there. I will be James. And so I've been James for about 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's good to have you here today, man. Yeah, man. And it's good to have you here at Northside. Absolutely. How has your experience with Northside been so far? It's been great. You know, one of the things, uh, especially over the past few years, there's been so much... Um, it's just the world's just got kind of crazy. Um, and well, what are you referring to? I mean, you know, no, nothing big, you know, completely normal. Um, I've, I've definitely been just kind of all around uh, given um, I started, uh, got commissioned as a provisional elder in 2020, started ministry around that time, finished seminary. Uh, my last year at Boston University was right as the pandemic was underway. Oh, wow. Um, and wow. so that was like, step one of what would be a whole whirlwind of changes <laughs> after that. Um, so, uh, yeah, Northside has been great. It's very similar to a church I served at when I was in South Carolina. Okay. Um, you know, I moved to Georgia last July, um, cause I got married to my wife in May. Um, she is, uh, working at Emory as the Christian chaplain in the religious life office. That sounds like a cool job. Oh my gosh. I mean, it just yeah. seems like it'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm there's, parts of the job I'm jealous of because like before ministry, like I was really involved in campus ministry settings, FCA campus Mm -hmm. outreach and stuff. And so a lot of what Maddie does is like, I'm like, man, that that's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. I just love campus environments anyway. So, um, but anyway, moved to Georgia in July, um, was appointed to in kind of an interim position at a church in Carrollton, um, and so after uh, was done there, they were one. They were a church that went independent, and so being appointed here at Northside um, has been great because closer to Maddie, yeah, uh, very similar feel as far as what I was used to before, um, and it's been great getting to know this community and 
all yeah. the people here. So, so for people who don't know um, and maybe listening, uh, all four or five people who listen to this podcast, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, you are you are provisionally appointed here, or what's what's the terminology for your position? Oh, here let's lay down some UMC policy. Oh, yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. I know nothing about this. So. Uh, I am what's called, I guess, a displaced pastor, which oh means gosh, that is so sad, Douglas. <laughs> that's the I am in exile. I am in exile. Wow, here in Babylon, yeah, by the rivers of the. You are loved here. You are yes. welcome here, Douglas. Oh my gosh, I heard him singing songs about Jerusalem and Zion in his office. That's right, <laughs> the waters of the Jordan. Oh Man, that's a good idea for like a devotional. Yeah, pour my heart into it. Um, yeah, so so in the United Methodist Church, if you're an elder, um, I, I was ordained an elder a couple years ago. Um, you you serve under appointment. The appointments last for a year at a time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an elder, if you're ordained, you're guaranteed an appointment. But every year, you're up for there's a chance that you can be reappointed. Right. Um, going in, in pursuing that order, you know, you've, we've got elders and deacons. If you're going in, in as an elder, like you're you're giving an oath that you will offer yourself without reserve no yeah. matter what, right? Right. So the tricky situation for me and for a lot of pastors have been, if, if you've been a part of a church um, that's, you know, for my case, it was a church that decided to disaffiliate and go independent. Or if you are in a situation where you can no longer serve at a church, yeah. it, the the onus is put on the conference to find you a place or some way for you to finish out your appointment year until yeah. something more permanent or whatever right. else is established. Um, and so uh, Northside, I mean, it, it's just been such a grace and mercy that um, they were able to take me on. On, on the staff uh, as a way to kind of finish out my appointment year. So I'm, I'm serving, you know, during the six month period of time, um, you know, March or April is right around the time where uh, cabinet convenes and appointments for next year are right, made. Right. Um, so, yeah, right now I'm just kind of serving in as a, a support role okay. um, to finish out this year. Um, and, you know, my prayer is hopefully I'll get to be here long term. Absolutely. So. Yeah, great. Definitely. Yeah. Well, there's a place for you at Northside right. Church. Yes. So I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> so you seem like a very chill kind of person. You've got a very even keel kind of vibe. I don't know you very well, but that's my that's my impression yeah. of you. It sounds also like, especially in the first part of your career, these last few years have been marked by a lot of chaos and upheaval, right? Like being impacted yes. by the pandemic is your, have you adopted this sort of, um, attitude because of all that? Or are you just a naturally chill person? That's a good question. I, I would say my personality is normally pretty low key. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a go with the flow kind of guy. Um, this has definitely been a test of flexibility for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's more, I guess more of the challenges is like, uh, staying, you know, kind of focused and um, non-anxious during so much uncertainty, so much change, um, you know, being able to just kind of give it over to God and embracing whatever, you know, comes, whether expected or unexpected, new appointment, new location, yeah. whatever, um, and just being able to kind of see God's hand in the midst of all that. Um, but yeah, naturally, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Um, the test has been, you know, I also like to kind of know what's ahead of me or like what's what's down the road. Um, but I've grown in that respect of just being able to say, you know what, it's okay. And don't, 
you know, try, try to stop getting two or three or four steps ahead of time. Just yeah. like be yeah. in the moment. Right. So, right. There's a, a church member here that I was talking to not terribly long ago. And he said that something he's been working on is trying to, um, to, you know, start his day by saying, all right, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to just lean into that. Mm. And so maybe, maybe I have some things that I think that I might do today mm-hmm. and, or just kind of a general guide of where I might, you know, what direction I may start off in, but can I be so open and so unhindered that if God put something in front of me, I can just roll with it. Yeah. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just really admired that human being. Cause that is, that is a lot to yeah. be able to do that. And that takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of intentionality. I tried to kind of incorporate some questions like that into our devotional this year, just trying to ask like, how do we how do we take that mindset? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what it makes me think of that you're talking about. You know, like I have, I have thoughts, I have dreams for my day, my life. Mm-hmm. How do I truly wake up and say, okay, here's what I think I might do, but God, whatever you've got for me, mm-hmm. yeah. I can do that instead. And I yeah. will try to truly be okay with it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, thinking biblically too, there's a lot of, man, there's a lot of uh, biblical wisdom in terms of having that posture of being open and being able to, you know, focus in on what you see the present day, what God has kind of put immediately before you. Obviously, Jesus um, in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about what tomorrow will bring. Yeah, that's a great, ver- uh, you know, portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But also one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty seven, the second half of that verse says. Um, a man or one who has understanding has a cool spirit. Ooh. Um, I, <laughs> I love like that. that. And I even like, I went in to see if like, if that was like a, you know, just a translation thing. Yeah. It literally is a cool spirit. Like, like, a, like yeah. cold, like cool. Like yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. same thing oh. of like a breeze or whatever. Right. Something that comes from there. It's spirit. not saying like you're the font. I love that. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Mm, what's that citation again? Uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. I'm All right. pretty sure. All okay, right. cool. cool. Not that I'm going to test you. I want to go. That's yeah. <laughs> I want to hold on to that. That's cool. I'm going to go look up later. All right. Did yeah, I get that? yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> so Douglas, you're from South Carolina. Is that that's correct? correct? You yeah. grew up uh, in South Carolina. Um, did you grow up in the Methodist Church? I mean, how was your mm-hmm. what was your upbringing? Yeah, I grew up in a small uh, United Methodist Church. Uh, literally right across the street from my uh, home growing up. Um, I grew up in a very small town, like Mm -hmm. two stoplights, um, farm town, a lot of peaches. Uh, It was kind of peach country. (laughs) Um, I even worked in a packing shed when I was in high school because our uh, high school football coach was uh, one of the owners of one of the two big peach farms. Okay. Uh, And so... I did that. My dad was a farmer. Uh, he, his main job is, is working as a um, sales manager for a builder supply industry. Um, and, uh, but on the weekends, he loved farming. And we raised beef cattle. So I grew up in the country, on the farm, you know. Okay. Uh, and I love, this was something I always did when I was uh, like in seminary up in Boston or even at Clemson, is like trying to get t- people to guess how many people were in my graduating class? <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. Oh, man. Let's go. 11? I was going to say I'm going 17. Small. I was going to go 17, too. Oh. You were closer. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. 12. <laughs> what? Wow. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. That's I'm, crazy. I am imagining the sense of community was very strong. Is that Big true? Time. Okay. Yeah. Time. 
Yeah. Damn. Everybody knew everybody. Oh you know. <laughs> this is a Bible study at this point. Yeah, I know. Like, wow. <laughs> Got just enough to follow Jesus. Got 12 people. Yeah. That's right. There you uh, go. That's funny. <laughs> um, so how does a kid from South Carolina end up in Boston? So um, I went to Clemson. Uh, my whole family, we've, we just we love Clemson people. Clemson University, the football team, everything. Sister went to Clemson. And a lot of orange. Lots of orange, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's a strong color. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife would absolutely disagree, but it's okay. We, we give her grace. Yeah. <laughs> Is she a Georgia girl? <laughs> Big time Georgia. Yeah. She didn't go to Georgia. She went to Sanford, but okay. she loves Georgia football and her whole family, the same thing. So. Have you heard that song that's out on the radio now? Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Tennessee Orange, but it's about a Georgia girl who who's wearing Tennessee Orange now because she's falling in love with a Tennessee guy. Oh, man. And so she's talking about, <laughs> and in her perfect. heart, she'll always be a dog, but, uh, you know. But she's, you know, sorry. She's basically like writing, uh, calling her parents or something and apologizing for wearing the Tennessee orange. But you know, she's in love. Just reminds me, yeah. Clemson orange yep. instead of Tennessee. But yeah, well, I will say this. Uh, my my one of my best friends growing up, uh, man, we were friends since middle school. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, when we were in school, was a diehard uh, University of South Carolina fan. Mm -hmm. um, diehard. Absolutely. Now, he ended up. Um, coming to Clemson for uh, what he was going to study. He got into nursing um, and swore up and down, going to stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. <laughs> um, but, man, we just kind of chipped away at it. And, uh, it was right around 2015 when we went to the national championship, but we lost. Mm, mm. And he was he and a bunch of friends um, up in Clemson were watching the game together. And – I th I'm pretty sure he would say that was the moment because he, for the first time, felt that pain, uh, that emotional investment yeah. in the team. Uh, yeah. And now he's a diehard Clemson fan. That's funny. Oh, wow. So That's I've seen funny. it happen. You've seen it happen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's rare. <laughs> so you went to Clemson, but how'd you, get up, how'd you get up to Boston? So I had a professor at Clemson. Um, I... Change majors a, a couple of times, right? I mean, oh yeah, 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 for sure. I uh, <laughs> so uh, a professor who was my advisor. I took a lot of classes with him. Um, uh, I went through the religious studies program at Clemson, which was kind of a smaller uh, group, smaller department. So the professor could be very intentional with their students. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you were going through the major, you your junior year, you had to do a research project, um, a research colloquium, and then your senior year, you had to do a seminar with all the seniors. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so this professor, not only was he my academic advisor, but he worked with me through uh, some of those courses. He went to uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological mm -hmm. Seminary yeah. up in Massachusetts, and he was kind of the first guy who got me into like nerding out about Bible, <laughs> uh -huh, languages, uh -huh. texts, yeah. you know, history of textual studies, all that stuff. Um, and so it was kind of one of those cases where you know, you see your role models and you just kind of do what they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he also told me, we had a conversation uh, uh, one time when I was, um, it was probably when I was trying to figure out classes for the next semester. And we had a conversation about, you know, where you going to go to seminary, what you're going to do next. And I was thinking seminary at the time was, I was still discerning whether or not ministry was my calling. Okay. Um, but he did encourage me. He was like, you need to go you need to go away. You need to get out of your comfort zone um, yeah. and experience yeah. something nice. new. And um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of took that to heart. So yeah. followed his example, but also let me go. This is the few times I'll probably get a chance to do something different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I ended up doing was going to Gordon Conwell my first year. 
um, which was great, a wonderful experience. I, I got to do, like I said, you know, I got to do languages. I got to do um, classes in exegesis, biblical studies. Um, and then around that time, I reconnected to a pastor who was the senior pastor at the church I served at in Aiken. Um, knew my family growing up, once again, that whole area, yeah. small town, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, was very, I mean, spent years and years and years in ministry in the United Methodist Church. Uh, did a lot of stuff for the denomination. Serves as parliamentarian for the annual conference and a oh, delegate wow. to general yeah. conference for many years. Um, he, uh, he and I connected. At the time, I was still trying to figure out, like, what what was my path? Was I called into ministry when I was in college? Like I wasn't so much focused on like being like in the local church in the United Methodist Church. It was mainly campus ministry stuff. Mm. But he kind of convinced me to. He said, you know, these are your roots. These are where you, you know, where obviously where the gospel kind of first planted itself in your heart. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he saw the gift that I had for you know what would be a call to ministry. Um, and so uh, after that learned about the process and w- the main thing I needed to do was to take the required courses needed for ordination. Right. Right. Um, but I didn't want to leave Boston. Yeah. Um, Gordon Conwell at the time, uh, didn't have like United Methodist history, polity stuff. Right. Like that. Oh. Um, and so what ended up happening was, was I went from outskirts, Massachusetts to right in the middle of, yeah. um, the city of Boston and went to BU School of Theology. And that's a, nice. that's a Methodist school or mm-hmm. is Methodist seminary anyway? Yeah. It's one of the, one of the 13, um, okay. quote unquote, United Methodist seminaries. This history goes back a long time. Yeah. It started by Methodist and was kind of one of the early okay. places where ministers were trained. So, yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. That's awesome. To have someone speak those things into your life, I'm sure you've had this experience, James, like just that, I don't, you know, I mean, I've had that here with people, just someone looking at you, someone that's, you know, older, a little bit more experienced, even if it's just by a couple of years, mm. or has walked the path and looking at you and saying, I see a thing in you, mm. nurture that. That is just, yeah. that is so special. Yes. Yes. Very formative. It gets to that whole, we've talked about this many times, but the whole mentor um, mentorship and stuff like that in the faith that's so important. Yeah. So having somebody recognize the gifts and graces in mm-hmm. you and then mm-hmm. point you in the direction. What's interesting about the way you told that story is you had sounds like you had one professor who was like you need to get away and then you had another professor <laughs> who was like you need to come home but not home <laughs> physically but home you know like this where you're you're being pulled toward this this place where you uh, like you said where the faith was planted in mm-hmm. you so you kind of had both and kind of thing going on there yeah, like that yeah. tension. It's kind of, it kind of follows that, you know, the, in screenwriting and storytelling, people talk about the hero's journey where yeah. you go off, you experience something uh-huh. and then you bring something of value back to yeah. your, your community or place of origin. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was, it was kind of like that. I mean, we were big fans of the hero's journey here on the Dialogic Disciple <laughs> Podcast. We did a, we did a devotional a few years ago kind of all over the place but uh one of one of the it's things one of our devotionals that we talk about how there's actually multiple devotionals like four, in it because yeah. we just try to do too much it was like the second one we'd ever done so <laughs> it's it was several years ago now but um we did uh i, I mapped on the disciples journey onto the hero's journey mm-hmm. and uh it was it was pretty fun nice. uh, i'm a big fan did you throw in some like George Lucas quotes or something? <laughs> <laughs> that was the love one, right? We should all be uh, we yeah. should all be like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> That'd be pretty epic, actually. <laughs> so, Doug, we are we are right now in the in the heart of Lent, yep. uh, the season of Lent, heading toward Easter. I, I, how do you? Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, how do you? 
What's your favorite part of the church calendar? Uh, mm. what, how do you feel about Lent? Are you a fan of Easter? Or are you anti-Easter? <laughs> Man, if I said I'm not a fan of Easter, I'm, I might be in the wrong profession. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so what do I think about Lent? What's my favorite part of the church calendar? Lent is definitely... I'll, I'll say this. I feel like Lent is, um, is something that I feel like especially in our current, I say our current, in, in kind of the, the broader American Protestant, you know, world, you know, there's so much of the church life that has a tendency to kind of have an impulse more towards the, like, bring everybody in, like, let's try to meet the needs yeah. of the people sort of thing. Um, I'm glad that, you know, the church continues to hold on to the tradition of let's have a dedicated part of the year where what we're focused on is self-examination is spiritual yeah. um you know inquiry discipline you know what is it that we can do to kind of i mean this doesn't sound really attractive but like do the work of faith so to speak yeah or, yeah, or yeah, maybe yeah. do the work on ourselves yeah. so to speak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um we just don't have i feel like in the in the broader culture at large we don't have much of a tolerance for that it's more of like let's do whatever we can to make life more comfortable right you know more accessible more whatever not like what can we do to you know i keep discipleship one of the great metaphors is metalworking you know Mm -hmm. tempering metal what can we do to kind of like refine or to put quality into our character our you know our spiritual life um i'm glad that we do that i think that's something that we don't necessarily do a great job of letting people sit in tension in the church right yeah um and we certainly don't do it in culture so no it's it's a good thing and i love it when people get curious get interested and like you know i've heard many many different people talk about like what's the what's the best practice to do Lynn? what should you do what should you give up and every tradition kind of has their different take on it whether it's an actual like wednesday friday fast whether it's give up something yeah. for the season um but really it's more of like what can you do to be, you know, more closer to God and more um, in tune with where you're at in your spiritual walk right. by the end of it than mm-hmm. when you began. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not so much focused on like, did you like give up the thing for the full 40 days, whatever. It's like, have you noticed a difference when, yeah. when Easter comes versus oh, like when that. you began? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. I like that a lot. Like that's, that's that in my mind is like evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your heart to yeah. mm-hmm. mold you and shape you, so to speak. So, That's good. No, I like that. I don't know if it's my favorite part <laughs> of the church calendar. Um, I love Christmas, so Advent's obviously a, a wonderful time. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, seeing, I think Advent too is a great time of year where like either consciously or subconsciously, the church really looks at the whole story of mm-hmm. God and the whole story of salvation. Yeah. You have a lot of like Old Testament you know, uh, allusions to the coming Messiah and then kind of the crescendo on Christmas when yeah. he comes. So probably if I had to pick a favorite, that would, that'd probably be yeah. my favorite. Yeah. So. I'm taking, oh, do you have something to say? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm taking a class right now called cultivating spirituality through mental health practices. Mm. Um, and we're talking about a lot of identity formation stuff, which reminds me of kind of what you're getting at with the whole Lent thing. Um, and James, I know you were, You've gone through a lot of, you have your little identity paradigm, identity paradigm diagram. <laughs> yeah. So I think about that. Um, but how do we dig into the story of who we are and w- how we have gotten to the place that we have gotten to in this life? One of the books I'm reading talks about how much of our um, 
what's going on in our brains is actually memory. It's mm. it's related to how we were raised, what we've experienced, and whether we're not necessarily conscious of it more mm. often than not. Yeah. But the way that we react to things around us, to people, a lot of it is based in our past experiences. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what does it take to be aware of that stuff, to dig into our story, to dig into our identity, who we are, who we have become, and how do we like relate those things to how I am functioning now in relation to the people around me and my community mm -hmm. and God. Yeah. I just think that's so fascinating to me. Those are like the building blocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. I think that in that it the the practicing the church calendar. I grew up in a in a non Methodist tradition. I grew up in a in the Nazarene church. And it's kind of like a Baptist Methodist hybrid you might say, but we, we, we didn't do any kind of liturgical stuff in, in church. Well, we didn't do anything that we called lit liturgy anyway. Uh, so there was no, I didn't know what Advent or Lent were until I got to, to college mm -hmm. uh, and had some professors who were, who were big into that kind of thing. But um, so one of the things that I've learned to love about it, though, and one of the things that I, I, I've cherished deeply, I think, is starting with the first Sunday in Advent and really going through Pentecost mapping the the story of our faith onto our calendar onto our daily day in day out kind of thinking and i think you're right like especially during the season of lent when a lot of the focus uh that we do for lent um in the devotional stuff that we've done is is in one way or another trying to talk to people about what it means to die to yourself and what it means to to truly be crucified with Christ and spending that 40 days like surrendering and, and whatever, whatever it is that's going on in your life. And I, and I like your idea there where when you get to the end, you should feel like you've, you've made some progress in, in that journey, right? So that when Easter comes, you can feel the resurrection, yeah. not just in Jesus Christ, but in yourself as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of the idea that, that we are living into the resurrection even now, that eternal life begins the moment we believe and not just after we die. Uh, and trying to get people to, and myself really, to to grasp what it means to die to self, surrender yourself, become poor in self, as we were talking about this year. But um, that journey, I think, is so important. And the, and the idea of of mapping that onto time, that's been really beneficial for me in how I structure my own thinking and mm -hmm. my own kind of devotional spiritual practices. Yeah. Yeah, we're very, I feel like people are naturally very pattern-centric, like, mm -hmm. We yeah. fall into our patterns. We fall into our it, rhythms. Have it formed. Yeah, People, and yeah. even the way we think about ourselves, like in terms of like how do we form our identity, we do so through kind of a narrative we tell ourselves mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. who we are, where we go, what's our purpose, you know, kind of the four like big questions that every, you know, faith, religion, philosophy, whatever tries to answer is, is um, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Who are we? Why are we here? What should we be doing? And where are we going? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what's the and, and both of what y'all said, like, and, and kind of like the um, mental health um, psychological sphere, like some of these patterns are so deeply ingrained, like within our nervous system and our subconscious that we don't even realize that we're living out the stories and the patterns that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I think about in terms of like what is like what's the role of liturgy what is worship like what is it that the church does when we gather as a community of faith like one of the primary things is that we live out those patterns that's right like, yeah. sunday morning should be a microcosm of what is the life pattern that everybody lives out yeah you know? yeah um and that's so beautiful yeah going through those stories like going through the liturgical calendar it kind of like 
whether we think about it or not or dwell on it or not, we're, we're still living into that. Yeah. You know, we're still coming to church and hearing the story and standing and singing and speaking the words of yeah. what the story of salvation is. Um, and I'm absolutely would bank on like that getting into how we form our, or how we are formed through that process. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a very central element to identity formation for sure. Um, and it's, I think you're absolutely right. The, 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 the story that we tell ourselves and part of what we do here at church, um, like you said, intentionally or not, whether we, whether we're thinking about it or not is, is retelling that story, like reshaping our story and therefore reshaping our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, something you said that really struck me because, uh, I think you ask a lot of people what faith is about. And most people today will talk about it's, it's believing, mm-hmm. uh, the right thing It's it's being able to say the apostles creed or it's, it's saying that I believe in Jesus Christ, but a lot of faith has everything to do with what you do with your body mm-hmm. and how and the story that you're living out and it and it's not necessarily conscious like it's not it's not something you dwell on it's something right. that you're living out right yeah. and i think i think we forget that a lot of times that and that's that's really the the importance of of these practices that we do is that it it is embodying literally embodying the story that we believe or that we say we believe and by doing so actually creating the faith that mm-hmm. we say we have yeah, you know, it's one of the things I think about, like, in terms of, like, the canon of Scripture. Um, one of the things that kind of strikes me is the fact that there's no, like, book, like, in the New Testament that is a dedicated catechesis as a part of mm-hmm. our canon. Like, every epistle, every work is so, like, you know, here's an image of what one who's walking the way of Christ looks like. Yeah. Um, here's the, you know, the commands that Jesus give. This is what you should do. This is how you should then live. Mm-hmm. Um, all of Paul's letters, even the ones that kind of get more into the more, you know, theologically complex and, um, you know, historical focus or whatever, yeah. you know, the more abstract, he will always end it with, therefore, mm-hmm. this is what you do. This right. is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and so I'm always struck by how we do, especially just kind of in the Western world, we treat the faith as kind of a quiz, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. believe this, don't believe this. Yeah. Like, you know, here's, here's kind of the first order. If you believe this, you're a Christian. Here's second order. This is what's kind of different between denominations and stuff. But like, it's more of uh, the pattern I see in the early church is live in our community, see what it is that we do come to worship, come to liturgy and not as a way of like learning the right stuff, but living into the story and then go there for, um, you know, make disciples of all nations. You know, it's a very active way of doing things, so to speak. Yeah. I like it. I'm in my other class this semester is letters of Paul or it's it's the second half of new Testament technically. And so I'm getting into all that stuff right now and trying to really understand Paul myself for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And this, that, that conversation around what does it mean? What does it mean to, like you said, to be part of the community and kind of this idea that Paul above all else is saying, this is the most like above anything else, above any law, about any practice. The goal here is to be part of the community and to be unified. Yeah. And that is just, that's just mind blowing to me. Okay. The more I yeah. read, it's just like, oh yeah. man, that's awesome. <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, and I, just, I think, I think, I've said this in a, a bunch of my classes, but I'll say it again. I, I think Paul, in his letters, I think the number one thing, and he talks about it in every single one of his letters, but I think the number one thing he says, uh, 
is the witness of the church, is the unity of the church. That is our witness. That's what mm. makes us stand apart from every other human social organization, is that we're unified in the spirit. Mm -hmm. In as much as we are unified in the spirit, we are witnessing to the presence of the spirit in our midst. Um, and, that, and it does get back to... Uh, it does get back to the the way of living life together, worshiping together, doing the liturgy together, loving one another, serving one another, uh, and not so much about whatever your opinions or thoughts or beliefs, your list of mm. beliefs might be what your creedal kind of formation is. Um, I just we have forgotten that obviously uh, throughout the history of the church and even recent times, and mm. it's always been an issue. But that's something to keep in mind, I think, and another reason why things like Lent. Uh, and Advent and Christmas and all those things are so important in the life of the church. Yeah, no, I would agree. And that's that's the funny thing talking about your uh, letters of Paul class. Like it's it's so funny because you have people kind of in biblical studies who kind of specialize or focus in on one area or one genre or or portion of scripture. Some people are more Pauline scholars. Some people are more you know prophetic works, whatever. My focus is Jude. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know what that book's about. <laughs> that's, an, that's a unique one for sure. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, well, I actually know somebody who did their dissertation on like two verses in First John. Really, really. Oh wow. Yeah, it was all about atonement stuff, but oh, I was great. like drawing a lot out from just kind of a small amount of material. Um, but the funny thing is, is when I look at Paul, you know, Paul, him trying to speak what was, you know. What, what was the revelation of the faith, which they didn't see it as anything new. They saw it as a continuation of what God was already yeah. doing. Um, we have this kind of tendency to say, like, first century, you know, you had, you had um, uh, the Jews or the Judeans, and then you had the Christians. And it's like, right, yeah. they wouldn't have seen yeah. each other. Like, Judaism at that point was so multifaceted. There are yeah. so many different, like, schools of thought and, like, forms of it that that was just kind of another yeah. um, way of doing things. Paul was, you know, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And, like... In the, the Greco-Roman mindset, that was the norm of mm -hmm. how to understand life and its mysteries was discourse, was yeah. debate. But even if you compare Paul's letters to like other um, treatises written by mm -hmm. Greek or Roman um, writers, philosophers, like it doesn't follow the same structure yeah. as like, you know, point one, point two right. on this subject as the right. title, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it has a little bit of that, but I think that's to kind of get the new believers in the door. Yeah. And then he follows through with, you know, once again, like here's, here's application. This is what, right. this is how you live into this instead of just debate about it on, right. you right. know, at Aeropagus or wherever. Um, yeah. And I'm one of those guys, like, I, I guess this is a hot take, like, yeah, I'm, this might be something y'all debate about in your class, but the author of Hebrews, yeah, you know, everybody has yeah. a different take on who wrote that. I think it actually was Paul, yeah. Um, but I think it was one of his sermons that Luke was probably writing down because mm. the vocabulary is very similar to the gospel of Luke and Acts. Um, mm. That is a hot take. Yeah. Could not be more wrong. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it doesn't follow the form of right. like a, a, you know, like the, the epistolary structure. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, we were talking about that when we went to lunch the other day about the f idea that what's baffled me about Paul is we have we have a handful of his letters. Yeah. Right. Okay. And but what we what we don't have and what I, what I'm shocked that we don't have is like somebody's sermon notes. Right. Somebody's like 
somebody's like writing down uh, what Paul said, right? Yeah, and and yeah. not just Paul writing letters. And so what you're offering is, well, maybe that's what Hebrews is. Might be. Yeah. You know? I like that because ever since you brought that up, James, I have that has been in my head, and I'm like, well, why don't we? What is yeah, this? Like, where's on? all yeah. the extra stuff? Yeah. If he's that important, if yeah. he's that <laughs> bit much of a giant, nobody's writing yep. the stuff yep. down. Come on. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Like the uh, so vocabulary is one thing. Another thing too is all the the older collections we have of Paul's letters, um, the earliest like put together, they always have Hebrews yeah. with it. They used to think that, yeah, yeah. it used oh. to be, it used to be recognized as a Pauline epistle Yeah, for, for the first, first couple hundred centuries, couple hundred centuries, couple hundred years. Yeah. Um, so maybe so I've, I've always kind of leaned toward it being something like Barnabas. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I, yeah, I like that idea though. I like that idea a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want I, when we talked about this too. Like, what would happen if if we uncovered an, another letter of Paul? Oh, oh my god! Because like, you know, there's got to be so many more. What happens if we uncover one? That'd be pretty wild. That would be, That'd be crazy. Uh, it it yeah. would be the question. I guarantee the debate would be: Was it Paul? Was it yeah. early Christian yeah. writer? Mm-hmm. Was it, I mean, I, you know, there's so many different works in the early church where, uh, you know, like Dionysius, was it really him or was it like? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who wrote it three centuries later, all these different <laughs> right. things. Yeah. So. Like that famous joke, did Homer actually write the Iliad or was it another guy named Homer? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. That's funny. This is, if I was teaching a, a Bible study in Romans, I, I, I've done this before. My trick question to a class is, who wrote the book of Romans? <laughs> you told me it's a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Because Paul didn't write with his hand. Right, right. He book dictated of it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying uh, to remember at the at the end of the yeah. letter. Um, I think it was starts with a T. His uh his secretary yeah. was amanuensis is the one who yeah. says, okay. "I am writing." Da 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 da. So okay, you know, I once again, I'm a nerd. I love getting into those little, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, those little interesting conversations. But uh, it's it's so fun. So we're doing this week. I'm in Romans, we're but it's really just one through eight. Right I know we That's are. It's it. great. I love it though. Apologize, everybody out there. <laughs> so we were. It wasn't this week. It was a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about. Um, I don't remember which letter it was, but the whole idea that Paul is addressing when people arrive for the communion feast and you get the people who were not working during the day, they have more money, they're a higher socioeconomic status and they're in like the main part of the house. They didn't have to go to work. So they started the feast early. Mm -hmm. They started the Lord's supper early. And then you get the people that had to work all day long and they're showing up later. And so they end up in the outer room because there's not enough, Mm -hmm. enough space for them. And you know, they get like the leftovers because everyone else has been there all day. So they've been drinking and eating Right. And so Paul's trying to help this community understand what it means to have the Lord's Supper together and what yeah. it means to respect each other and the differences. And like again, the whole point is community. You're supposed to do this together. Mm-hmm. And like just just knowing that background and understanding the the visual of what's actually going on in this community to me is just insanely helpful yeah. for understanding what Paul is trying to say. And I guess almost ironically, like understanding that specific context, even though it is wildly different from mine, helps me apply what Paul is saying better to today. If I can, if I can get a picture of what was going on then that he's actually speaking to, I just love that stuff. It's so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is we will, we'll approach scripture. And I mean, most people, if, if you grow up in the church, like you're encouraged by and large to like try to read through the Bible, try to get a sense of what it says. But all we have as far as our understanding of the way the world is and the way that, you know, conversation, like assumptions, I always say that like words are vehicles for ideas. 
Like we, we carry a lot of stuff when we come to the tech. So yeah. one of the reasons I love talking about like the history of the con the historical context around the biblical works is you can understand what's motivating and what's like behind the scenes, so to speak of these, you know, of what's there in the text. Like what are the things, what's in Paul's mind when he's giving this command or trying to present this image, you know, what is, um, what, what, what's the world that they live in? And that really yeah. does make the, I tell people, it's like, if you understand, you know, the background of the scriptures, like if you see a stained glass window, but it's in repair, it's on the ground or it's uh -huh. like still being mm. uh, worked on, you know, you're going to make out the picture and get a sense of what's being represented in the window. Right. Right. But when it's up and the light it's is shining, shining through, through yeah. that's like a whole different experience. Like you right. can get the gist in both scenarios, but. And you want to see that in its full it, glory. Yeah. So yeah. the text came about within a community, within a setting that, and miraculous, I mean, how many, okay, how many people are reading 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 year old texts <laughs> on the regular right. every day? Yeah. You know, well, in this room. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah really. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that's one of the most amazing, yeah. you know, not from the outside looking in circumstances, but, you know, yeah. we, we understand what's going on. Like, it's amazing that we can read that text and still get the gist of it. But if you do the extra work of saying like, okay, let me understand the world of Paul. Let me understand the world of Moses. The understand the world of David. Mm -hmm. Then it just makes the whole text just that much yeah. more exciting. Yeah. 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 So I love it. Nerds. Speaking of uh, stained glass windows, uh, Douglas, as a, as a final thought, I'm going to ruin something for you. When you walk into the Faith and Art Center downstairs through the big wooden doors, yes. on the right, you'll see a stained glass window of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of God the Father. I know. He's and, sitting, and, and you already and got it. Another uh, critique is you don't typically depict the Father. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what kills me about that. So usually you don't, the only, so the only depiction of like the Trinity, like, of any kind of form yeah. of it is Rublev's Trinity, which actually technically isn't the Trinity. Yeah, right, right. Uh, it's, it's actually uh, the the three visitors to Abraham. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and like the church never, you never depict. I mean, except for the Sistine Chapel. But then the Sistine Chapel, yeah, you've yeah, got right, like right. Uh, angels who look like cupids and stuff. So it's like, come on. So yeah. <laughs> I I, I've, I've noticed some things too. I just <laughs> keep it to myself. You know? Well, Douglas, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. Uh, we are excited. You're going to be preaching here in a, in a yeah. soon. Is that Ooh, coming up right. this Sunday? Or Not this Sunday. Next weeks? Sunday, okay. Daniel chapter six. Okay. All right. I love the book of Daniel. So I'm excited that this will be awesome. my first one. Awesome. All right, what is the date on that for whenever our folks are listening? Uh, uh, March 3rd, I think. Oh, it's my birthday. Yeah. You'll be All preaching right. on my birthday. Right on. March 3rd, yeah. guys. Come here. Uh, come 3rd, here. Yeah. Come next Sunday as well and hear bill and jeff but you know also yeah. come on march 3rd and hear douglas <laughs> and uh and you'll also be stepping into my chapel class uh for sunday school after the season of lent so after easter you'll be doing a during mm -hmm. the during the month of april you'll be stepping in there to teach a four-part series on on something yeah there. yeah uh so that's exciting as well absolutely i'll say that uh our former co-host, Nick Houston, used to have the best be hair on staff, but I think you might have brought the best hair <laughs> yeah, man. Back, uh, back to Northside, so well done. <laughs> and thank you again for being a part of this. Elizabeth, thank you. And Happy guys, we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.